There's hot takes in the air. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back. We are one week closer to Halloween time. We are. This is actually the week of Halloween. So uh, I hope everyone is prepared and got their costumes ready and can listen to this episode and maybe be inspired to watch something that they've never seen before, especially after last week's discussion about Tower of Terror, Scream Team, Something Wicked This Way Comes. We hope we've given you a little bit of insight as to what we see as Halloween. We hope that we've inspired you to, you know, check out some of the things that you've never seen before because it's a really fun uh, exploration. I had a lot of, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of watching all of these movies, as did our guest host, who we are bringing back to help decide who the best Disney Halloween movie is. It's our friend Tess. Tess, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited, got my poison apple mini ears ready, and ready for some hot takes. Well, Kyle, before we start talking about these Disney Halloween classics, we got some feedback to talk about. Ooh. And this feedback came from my mom (laughs) over the phone. Okay. She called me up after our Twilight Zone bracket which obviously we had my brother on that. So she gave us a shout out. She said it was just such an enjoyable listen to hear both of us talking about Twilight Zone, a show that we had on constantly in our house. Um, just for her to hear some of the like memories that we had associated with that show, she's, she thought it was really special and really rewarding. Also, she is egging us on, challenging us to do more non-Disney brackets. Oh, she, she said she it. didn't have a problem with it at all. So uh, <laughs> my mom tends to be an enabler when when I go outside of the box. So that, that just might be her just kind of nudging me a little bit. But sure. uh, hey, if anyone else is open to it, let us know. Yeah, I think that we can find enough uh, Disney adjacent ties that we can, you know, venture out into some of these wider realms like the Twilight Zone. Chris, before we leave the realm of uh, feedback, we got an email from a, from a friend on the East Coast with you. Her name is Dana. Dana reached out to us and she said, I've been listening to your podcast intermittently since the beginning of this year, whenever the Disney Cat one was. Great one to start on. You, you got <laughs> thrown into the fire with the Nina hot takes oh, there. Oh, no. Uh, and as a fe- fellow Disney kid, I love the concept you two came up with. I haven't listened to them all, but I noticed you two always personally know your tiebreaker. And I was wondering if you two were ever open to it being someone you didn't know. As someone who is always, uh, who has totally been a contrarian just to annoy a friend or family member, I frequently wondered how often their choice is influenced by the shared dynamic. Uh, 
and she goes on to pitch some stuff that she's into. And Dana, we are absolutely going to have you on the show. Uh, I've already reached out to Dana. We're, we're working something out to see when we can get her on. But a perfect example, guys, go ahead and shoot us an email. We'd love to have you on. We'd love to to hear your takes about literally anything. So continue to email us at mousemanagepodcast at gmail.com with your feedback, with your requests to be a guest. Well, well, we'd love to work something out and get you on. Bracket ideas as well. We're always looking for weird, goofy bracket ideas, and we will do them quickly. Totally, totally. Something we won't do so quickly, maybe you will if you're working on some shots again, is our spoonful of sugar. Chris, what are you drinking this week? Guys, no more shots this week. But I am fully recovered. So I'm going back to some mixed drinks here, and I'm going with a drink recipe that was sent to me by our good friend Lauren from Summer Camp. She posted a picture of a drink she made in August okay. that was purple in color, this really cool purple color. And I immediately was like, what is that drink? Got to make it on the pod at some point. Was saving it for like the perfect bracket. And uh, I went with it this week. So this is a, a custom creation, so it doesn't have a name. But the base ingredient is Empress Gin, which is lilac in color. So that is key because this is a purple drink. So two ounces of gin, one ounce fresh lemon, half an ounce of simple syrup, half an ounce of egg whites. Dry shake it until frothy. Add ice and shake for five seconds or once the metal shaker is cold. Strain it into a glass with fresh ice and add a dash of bitters. This thing is gnarly. If you like gin, I would highly recommend it because it is a gin drink. I... Like gin, definitely one of my top three alcohols. It's purple in color. It's beautiful. I was saving it for something villainy, but uh, I'm playing it this week, and I'm calling it the Boogie Goo. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to try it, and you got to try it. I got it. It's great. All right. Well, this week, I'm going back to the Palm Tiki Smash. It, it was just the perfect mixture of sweetness and rum that I enjoy out of tiki drink without it being as heavy as like a grog like I had uh, last week. Also, the reason why I went back to it is because like your drink, Chris, it is very dark purple in color uh, because of the pomegranate juice. Uh, I'll, I'll put the recipe in the discord uh, or you can listen to last week's, but it literally looks like I'm drinking blood out of my Hatbox Ghost tiki mug. So I stuck with it. felt It felt right. I feel like I got to keep going. Palm Tiki Smash continues on. Tess, what have you got for this week? Um, I am sporting my poison apple mug to match mm, my nice. ears. Love it. And inside, I have some wine, which I've stayed away from wine for a little while because it doesn't feel too good going down. So it's going to feel <laughs> like poison going down my throat. Um, so that that's what I'm drinking this week. Torturing yourself for the Halloween episode. Do it for the podcast. <laughs> Do it. <All> right. <laughs> well, y'all, just a quick reminder: the survey demographic for this bracket was people who stood in line for a downtown Disney Halloween merch releases. It's that time of year. We're getting ready to start spending some money on some holiday goodies. Halloween kicks off that season. Disney's always doing a great job with that Halloween merch, villains, Halloween movies. It's out there. People like it. So we asked those folks. What's the best Disney Halloween movie? Ended up with the field of 16, and we are down to our final eight. We are. So to refresh us, it's number one, Hocus Pocus, versus number eight, Phantom of the Megaplex. Uh, number four, The Haunted Mansion, versus number 12, Mr. Boogity. 
on the other side of the brackets number 15 something wicked this way comes versus number 10 mom's got a date with a vampire and to round out our elite eight it is the number three nightmare before christmas versus the number six frankenweenie and we're gonna get started with the one versus eight the hocus pocus versus phantom of the megaplex now uh, we talked about last week, Phantom of Megaplex kind of doesn't feel necessarily like it's a it's a Halloween movie. Uh, it definitely does take place like in the summer, summer release blockbuster season. That's the whole premise is this Megaplex that was built on top of this old theater um, is hosting a, a Hollywood type premiere ran by a bunch of 16 year olds uh, and chaos ensues because the previous owner uh, or worker or whatever died in the theater when they were tearing it down for the Megaplex and now he's the Phantom and he's haunting the the new Megaplex uh, to take his revenge essentially it's just a, it's a ghost story right so uh, I really enjoyed this this movie's uh, incorporation of the Phantom he's like a dude in a cape that like you see like exiting a room you just see flashes of him I really There's like, a strange sound effect that goes along with it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and like an organ yeah, gets hit yeah, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. same time. Yeah. So that that does feel very Halloween, right? Like organs, this uh, the kind of ghoulish laughter. Um, it's really just like a, it's a story about pranks and things going wrong. It feels super Twilight Zone esque, uh, where like there's many acts of the supernatural where things shouldn't be happening uh and it's causing pain points for not only our main characters but everybody surrounding it so it it fits in with that kind of supernatural without it being completely ghost-like everyone believes that this phantom is like not even just a ghost like is a it's a being that 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 stalks the halls of this place so the the buy-in by everyone is kind of fun because it instantly is like, this is the Phantom. Little brother annoys the hell out of me. Uh, every time the Phantom does something and the little kid, Phantom of the Megaplex, keep singing! <laughs> I'm like, I don't, you're so annoying. Leave this kid at home. What was he watching? Farmer Brown? <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. I love that they invent names for the movies too. Yes. And they're like, What's the name of like an annoying kids movie? Ah, Farmer Brown. What's a what's a movie that's like Mighty Ducks but not? Oh, it's like Super Penguins. <laughs> Super ice merch idea. <laughs> merch idea. T-shirts for all of the fake movies from Phantom of the oh, Megaplex. Oh man, yes. Point zero 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 one percent of the population would understand. <laughs> Probably less. The, Probably the, a population of three people would get yeah, that. Yeah, and the 15 that listen to this podcast. Across from it is Hocus Pocus. You got a, a very classic witch story. Um, there's a lot of really annoying plot holes to this movie, unfortunately, that like I felt were so easy to avoid for them, but they just couldn't resist to like make a joke. So one instance is like, they, they enter the real world. They think like the road is a, a black river, but really it's just a road because they've never seen it. They've been dead for 300 years. They don't know what a bus is, right? They ask what this machine is and it's, and it's a bus. But then during the chasing to the cemetery, 
Winifred is flying alongside the car and asks to see his license and and asks if he's resisting arrest. So the entire world building of like these out of fish out of water witches, suddenly she knows like pullover etiquette and like process. It just was just like you just really needed to make that joke, didn't you guys? Like I would Can I it, add one more to that please, uh, please. continuity error? Please. Winifred, having been dead for 300 years, coming back and knowing all of the lyrics to the song, I Put a Spell yeah, on You. That was... Not only that, not being blown away by the idea of popular music and secular <laughs> short form music. In 1690, whatever, when these witches died, Bach had just been born. Vivaldi, Handel had just been born. We were in the Baroque period of music. This is pre-Mozart, pre-Beethoven. The only idea people might have of secular music is like Alan Adale style, like folk minstrel music. Right. So there is a 0% chance that these witches would obviously know the lyrics of the song, but like know to like sing words at all. Right. In a song. Or or like the the sister's job is to be like the backup duop in the back. Like I went through <laughs> this entire thought process through that entire scene as well. That song's a slap and her rendition of it is an absolute slap. So I oh, I'm yeah. happy that it existed, um but it just didn't it just added to the the continuity errors of the film. Unfortunately. Um also the like fact I really liked how they they incorporated the like witches spell into that song to like enchant the building full of I don't know what this party was it, it felt kind of like Halloween Town 2 right where like the parents were gonna go to the high school dance as <laughs> chaperones but they were also just like dancing and partying the entire time the kids weren't even there it was, they just wanted kids to get turned that's fair to me it was like a country club or like a homeowners association Halloween event Sure, 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 sure. So in revisiting this this movie, and we talked about it during our Cats episode, I happened to live with the guest host of that Cats episode, and she could not refrain from being like, your guys' argument was that Thackeray was never a real cat. He was a cat longer than he was a human. <laughs> I was like, it's well, true. you're kind of right. He was a 300-year-old cat. Like, I... Yeah, that's valid. I don't think we exactly brought that up. I really appreciate the technology used to recreate this cat because they tried so hard and they did okay. It was it got a little sketch sometimes. I will like absolutely in the CGI of this cat when it's talking. But for the most part, it only showed up in scenes that were like dark and not very well lit so they didn't have and it's a black cat so like for the most part they could get away with like the quick look at him he says three words and they can get away from it um also the the live animal cat was a very well trained actor this cat was very good about running to its marks (laughs) about needing to be asleep when it needed to be asleep standing on people's shoulders i'm always fascinated by animals in live action movies. It blows my mind that we can get them to do the things that we need them to do. Um, Ultimately, what it comes down to here, Chris, is still just this Halloween theme is is taken over. Like, Phantom of the Megaplex, I don't know that I really need to see it 
I've seen it twice this year and I'm I'm done with it, I think. Um it's just too Pete's too annoying, little brother's too annoying. Uh the gags are are over the top silly, which I appreciate in decom, maybe not so much here in this Halloween bracket. The witches and the sets and everything that they do in Hocus Pocus, despite the potholes and the continuity errors, uh, just puts it over the edge for me. Number one's moving on. Yeah, for for how many problems I have with Hocus Pocus, I will admit that I understand why people like it, and I do think it is a good Halloween movie. We got baby steps, everybody. We got baby steps with Chris. I'm 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 softening. No, I'm not softening. But like I said, I understand the Halloween appeal of this movie. Sure. I can talk a little bit further uh, next matchup, but I am advancing it on as well. Tess, anything left to say about Phantom of the Megaplex? Nope. I, I agree that I don't think I ever need to watch it again. So ready for Hocus Pocus. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on then to our next Elite Eight matchup, which is number four, The Haunted Mansion versus number 12, Mr. Boogity. It's time to talk. It's time to like get into these movies. We didn't really last episode. It's this is our time. All right. So let's just start with Mr. Boogity because Please. I mean I've been sitting on it for way too long. So I know they didn't have iPhones back then, but this movie is shot on the equivalent of what an iPhone was back then. I don't know if it was like a, a bar of soap or uh, one of one of those cameras that you crank <laughs> there was no actual movie camera that was used to film this it might have been like a home movie camera or something but it's just like it's so bad they didn't have a dolly or any way to stabilize the camera it was just like some guy with it on his Running shoulder around this movie has no introduction it just starts <laughs> there's not even any real opening credits it just says mr boogity and then they're like eating a picnic <laughs> next to a moving truck and the dad's like whoa oh, i can't wait to open our next gag city whoa <laughs> you're just like whoa 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 wait a second where are we yeah. who is this <laughs> like, yeah seriously it just seems like it starts so abruptly but i guess it has to because it's a 45 minute movie so we got to <laughs> get going the family moves to uh, i think it's somewhere in the northeast and First of all, they walk in there and there is another human being inside of the house and no one is alarmed whatsoever. No. Evidence of there not being a script is apparent in this scene when a flash of lightning strikes. The daughter raises her hand and she goes, Mom, who is that? And the mom goes, Shh, honey, don't point. In a way that's like, the actress was like, hmm, I'm a mom. What would a mom say right now? Ooh, she would say not to point. And it's just like the most random, like awkward. There are lines like that throughout this movie that are just like so unnecessary. It's yeah. like, did that need to be said? Mm-mm. But someone had to have edited this movie and been like, oh yeah, we're going to leave that for sure. That was great. Some great character building on the mom's part. <laughs> anyway, there's this there's this guy in the house. Everyone's like, oh yeah, what's going on, dude? The dad, man, it's like a bad version of Uncle Joey from Full House. He has yes. like no desire to be uh, any Su- kind of parental figure in this family. No. He's... he's just like obsessed with his gag city. 
His daughter is trapped, locked in a room and is screaming. And he mm-hmm. walks in and he's like, whoa, slimy footprints. We could sell these. Whoa. He takes it like off the wall. And like, <laughs> like are you it's not like- concerned at all with the trauma your child has just experienced? Oh, Apparently not. Little fun fact I noticed about Mr. Boogity, uh, the historical society mm-hmm. is the same practical set as the bar in Something Wicked This Way Comes. Really? Total opposites when it comes to vibe of these movies, but it's the same set. It's wow. crazy, which means that like the town square area is the same as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be right. Yeah. Wow. Kind of nuts. So midway point through the movie you get the origin story of the boogity man and i don't know why they made this stylistic choice but they chose to make it like a children's tv show set where the only set pieces were like pop-up wood cutouts Mm -hmm. and everything was in like a white fog and they told the story of yet another guy named William Hanover, who didn't get the girl that he wanted, so he decided to kill her and her her son. Mm-hmm. Again, strange stylistic choice, but he ends up being the Mr. Boogity Man, and it all leads up to this climax scene where we finally get to see the Mr. Boogity Man after being like kind of teased of his existence through the entire movie, and he's a lot like a a worse version of Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars where he shoots lightning bolts out of his fingertips, but the only words he knows how to say is boogity. <laughs> and like, he says it when he's like owning people. He's like, right. mm, boogity. Mm, boogity. <laughs> <laughs> he just like zaps them. It's so funny. <laughs> just the way he says it is ridiculous. Uh... And, uh, just like in Scream Team, we've got a vacuum cleaner that mm-hmm. saves the day. It's just apparently ghosts getting sucked into vacuum cleaners just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There was also like a random mummy at some point that like came to life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like one of the gags uh, that was laying around. Uh, Boogity brought the, the gag mummy to life. For like 30 seconds and then yep. it died again. Yep. So, moral of the story, this movie is just about a stuff that doesn't make any sense. Feels like they made it up as it goes along. But it's a fun watch. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. On the other side here, we've got the number four Haunted Mansion, which Kyle kind of talked about it last episode. It does what it sets out to do. It's a family comedy starring Eddie Murphy that makes references to the Haunted Mansion attraction. Haunted Mansion is my favorite Disney ride, and I had no problem with the way that they tied in all of the attraction stuff. I thought it was done really well. Even kind of like the more laid on thick moments, like when Wallace Shawn's like, nah, there's always my way. Right. Like I was like, oh, okay, like that's, that's kind of a good moment to throw that in, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like the hitchhiking ghosts. Yeah. They sneak into the, uh, the little carriage that they're in. The actor who plays Gus, which is the short bearded hitchhiking ghost is the same actor deep roy who plays the oompa loompa and the johnny depp charlie and the chocolate factory oh, man this was like deep roy's like one moment to shine it was like this <laughs> this little period of like mid 2000s all right uh 
I, I like their inclusion there. Uh, obviously, the singing busts. I always get a kick out of that scene for Same. some reason. That's like that I I really enjoy that scene. It's like it's very similar to the like sardine scene in Finding Nemo, where mm-hmm. like Marlin's trying to like find the way, and they keep building off of what Marlin is saying, or you know they're being obnoxious. Same with the with the busts. Just so I mean, they're so great. They're so great. They're also the Dapper Dance from Disneyland. Oh yeah, that's great. And and the uh, the likenesses are are done exactly like the ride. You get the quick throw Ravenscroft shot. Yep. The goat throw. Uh, <laughs> just it just made me happy to see that. The movie has surprisingly got some pretty scary moments as well. I mean, you talked about a, a demon coming up through the fireplace last week, but you've also got that whole mausoleum scene yeah. was kind of freaky to me as like, I think I was like a teenager when this movie came out and I was still kind of like uncomfortable to watch it. You said how it comes out the same time as Curse of the Black Pearl. Curse of the Black Pearl, they went with this like undead skeleton CGI that has not aged exactly well haunted mansion went with actual costumed actors and this scene has aged well it's mm-hmm. still just as scary as it was when it came out mm-hmm. uh, you know you have this army of the dead trying to get eddie murphy his daughter is down swimming in like gross mausoleum water Gosh. trying to find this key uh and then like icing on the cake all of the spiders coming out of the uh, the lock where the sun has to face his fear of spiders really scary moment but also really great like character moment for eddie murphy uh he kind of learns not to use the parenting strategy at the beginning of the movie when he's like oh you got a man up smash your own spiders and he's like it's okay to be scared people get Mm -hmm. scared i'm scared right now but it's about facing your fears right Uh, much more healthy way to uh, counsel a child in that situation so i i just i love that moment it's a great scene that whole sequence we got to talk a little bit about Terrence Stamp as Ramsley the butler. <laughs> we propped Jonathan Price as dark in Something Wicked This Way Comes. Man, Terrence Stamp does a great job as this kind of quiet, intimidating butler villain in The Haunted Mansion. Disney does different stuff with the way they cast movies these days. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, people like The Rock? Let's put them in this movie. <laughs> you know, whereas like back then it was like, Let's get a good actor and put him in a Disney movie and just just rock it. Right. Just be iconic in their oh, performance. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Rush, another great example. I think we talked about him as Barbosa. He's like, just put a good actor in there and let them do their thing. Have either of you ever seen The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? No. No. Terrence Stamp is a trans drag queen and priscilla queen of the desert mm-hmm. and this is a movie i saw in college for a film class and obviously i had only known terrence stamp as ramsley the butler and so <laughs> like when i saw him in this role i was like what this is the same guy this is crazy it's an incredible movie i would highly recommend there are several legendary drag scenes in priscilla uh, and, and terrence stamp is just like just flawless ultimately haunted mansion doesn't have a lot of those halloween elements like we've been talking about with movies like hocus pocus where there's like uh the fall and the actual halloween holiday 
I think this takes place during the summer because they talk about going to the lake. Doesn't seem like the kids are in school because they're just like doing whatever. But it's still got that good Disney balance of scary and goofy. And while it doesn't take place during Halloween time, I'm going to Haunted Mansion every single fall. And mixing it into my uh, Halloween movie rotation. So uh, I got it advancing over Mr. Boogity here. Love Mr. Boogity. Super enjoyable. Glad I got to know it. Also, I'm going to add it to my rotation, but I just, I really like The Haunted Mansion. think it's a great I, movie. I was just going to say, Mr. Boogity's in my rotation from here on out. <laughs> Gosh, I love that as a Halloween movie. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Um, from all of the gags that the dad continually plays and just is such an idiot. Like both, both of the, none of the, neither of the parents, neither of them do anything that parents should be doing in the 40 minutes of this film. They're, they don't take anything seriously. The kids are being absolutely tormented in this rickety old haunted house. And they're just completely oblivious to it. This thing was 40 minutes because it's uh, it was part of the wonderful world of Disney back in the 80s. And this was a TV movie. So even before like Tower of Terror, where they would make it for TV, but then stretch it over the two hours, uh, they were like trying to fit it into an hour block. So with commercials, it probably filled that out. But yeah, you you brought up all the great points about the Haunted Mansion. I will say, though, and this, it's it sucks. They Justice for Madame Leota, man, they completely botched this character in the yeah. Haunted Mansion, I think. Probably, yeah. I, like, she's such a menacing force in the attraction, and I get that this isn't the attractions movie right it's a it's a different tale based upon the attraction however when you incorporate characters like that and especially for hers she could have been such a driving force of this movie in a in a very spooky way and instead they kind of casted her as this like punchline floating head thing you know like she was just constantly saying silly one-liners as action was happening and it just felt really not great also the rhymes that she was saying in the seance room that weren't haunted mansion script were absolutely awful and like half the time they didn't rhyme she was just like saying things and it's like what is even happening um so i mean it's haunted mansion is definitely better than mr boogity Mr. Boogity is that cult kind of like we got to watch it because it's Halloween and it's going to be funny to sit here for 40 minutes and watch it. Uh, But the Haunted Mansion is a better movie as a whole. So I'm with you. It's moving on. Uh, Tess, any surprises there? Any surprises when you watched Mr. Boogity? Uh, Any thoughts? It was enjoy. It was an enjoyable experience all around watching Mr. Boogity. Um, Haunted Mansion is obviously a better movie, but... um, my favorite part, <laughs> um, Mandy and I were watching it last night and I had to go back and watch it again. Um, when the, oh, who is he? Like the owner of the house or the guy who's showing the house to them um, and he's warning them about Mr. Boogity. 
And then he walks off and is, you know, warning him, uh, warning everyone about him, like, beware of Mr. Boogity or whatever he says. <laughs> and then the dad's like, okay, we'll keep an eye out for him and just like keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was like just such the epitome of what the dad is. It was so good. Like, and that's how he treats the whole movie until like 35 minutes later, like near the end when he finally gets it. But uh, he was such, it was just such an 80s movie, such an, like, such a dad, like not a good dad, but like the dad jokes because he's a gag yeah. person. It's just, Oh, it was so enjoyable. I truly, I, I can't wait to watch the sequel, Mr. Boogity's Bride or something. <laughs> Bride of Boogity, let's go. Oh, uh, so thanks for letting me, uh, giving me the opportunity to watch the movie because it's great. <laughs> oh man, it's so good. All right, let's hop across the bracket here. It's number 15, Something Wicked This Way Comes versus number 10, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. We got two carnival movies, everybody. Let's go. Two carnival movies. Uh, one that is based solely in a carnival and the other where carnival things take place. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really get to talk a whole lot about Mom's Got a Date with Vampire. It was, uh, we, we both said it was a very solid storyline. But I think, like, even so, like, everything that took place wasn't over the top, like, phantom of the megaplex right like every plot point wasn't this exaggerated moment it was like very well thought out like this vampire is trying to not be discovered as a vampire so he's very convincing that he's not even in he's convincing like the 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 kid who's this horror expert um that he's not right and the dinner scene was i thought really good i really liked the dinner scene when uh, the little brother's like, I saw him transform into a bat, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But they uh, they go to dinner to interrupt the date to like show the little kid that this guy is not a vampire. And he's the vampire. Uh, what's his name? What did they call him in this? Dimitri? Dimitri was yeah. like, go with the flow. Very quick to think on his feet. And he was like, oh, well, I have to pass the spoon test. Like he he was such a genuine actor in this right like he he seemed like a real person that we might all know that is trying to impress and win over the kids of the the person he's like dating right and so i really found that nice because it could have been really over the top like his fangs are sticking out and mom just doesn't notice it because it's mom you know like it's they did a very good job with it uh, in classic decom fashion, we have a very 2000s tech and fashion and them calling it out constantly. So like when they hop on the dating site, it's like this dial up, but like computers are cool, man. So like we got to have the computer in it. So they like he's like sending the email and it's like the send bar is like still going as he's like leaving. Um in typical decom fashion, you have a very poorly lip synced song number. Rockabilly of all things is the genre that they chose to go with uh, for this number. And it was so silly. <laughs> that entire scene in the dance hall was so silly. From like the bouncer, like calling out the kittens, like, hey, you can't be in here. And the kid's like, not, nah, but like, I'm just following like the stalker guy. And the guy's like, 
oh, forget that you're like 14. Where's the stalker? I'm going to kick him out. Um, it it was just that that was the silliest part of the movie, I think. And, and it gets silly when they get into the house, but it also felt very authentically like vampire-esque, you know, like the stealing of the coffin and the floating on it and the vampire can't be in water and all this stuff. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, like you said, a very, very Halloween movie, very solid Halloween movie as it faces off here with something wicked. And I, I'd said last week that I didn't feel like something wicked is necessarily a Halloween movie. Uh, you retorted that like there's many fall qualities to it and the carnival or fair or festival is one of those. And I guess I'd never really thought about it that way. I never really attached like my local county fair to Halloween, but it, that's literally when it took place. There's literally like pumpkin growing contests and stuff there, you know? So like, I don't know why I didn't, but it definitely makes sense. The winds of change sort of thing. The storm was coming like that does feel very foreboding and, and Halloween-esque. So I will swap my stance there. This does, this is a, a tale that takes place in the realm of Halloween, just maybe it's not a direct call out to Halloween. The acting is obviously way better. This is like an actual movie. It's not a it's not a decom. Uh, so everything is very serious in this movie. Uh, it it draws on like the the weaknesses as humans that we are uh, from the football player that no longer has two of his limbs and he just really wants to you know be this star athlete that he once was and his insecurities because of it. And he's talking a big game in the bar and he's showing that he can like catch this football uh, to the little boy, Jim nightshade trying to make up for not having a dad around and then living in this like kind of toxic household where his mom's not really watching him, but she has, it seems like she has guys coming in and out of the house frequently. Like it's a normal yep. occurrence for Jim kind of harkens on like the weakness of Jim and why he was such an easy target for Mr. Dark, right? And so the motive there and the way that they built it from the beginning as opposed to like, you know, don't look under the bed, like her weakness is that she didn't donate bone marrow and like the, the uh, and she feels guilty for it and the imaginary friend calls it out. We actually get to like live and conclude that ourselves with, Jim in this and with Will and his you know his dad's an older dad and even he recognizes that and his dad doesn't feel like he's used a lot of his time well and his dad also has his guilt right like his dad didn't save Will from drowning and he feels guilty about that and it was really Jim's dad that saved Will and he's always felt like he's never lived up to his potential as like a man or as a dad and that's part of him wanting to relive his youth. So the character building in this movie is incredible, just from every from everyone, um, even some of the minor characters like the cigar guy and the and the barber. I really liked the like the henchman turning into a little kid for like whatever reason. <laughs> that, and then visiting... that imagery of the carousel going backwards and you aging younger, I thought was so good. Like yeah. that is such a little kid fantasy thing that like, Bueller's, man turn the, i could totally the car in see, reverse yeah 
I could totally see myself as an eight-year-old looking at a carousel after watching that movie and being like, dude, they better not send the thing backwards and yeah. turn it into a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the, everything that they did with the carnival, I felt really worked. And even like the parade through town where like you can tell everyone had a story. They Every character in that parade gave up something and you can kind of see what it was. The like this like witch figure that was like his his like sidekick the the one that like tempted the dude onto the Ferris wheel and then uh, was there at the end that kind of just like exploded at the very end shattered she was the frozen lady that everybody saw at the beginning thought that was really spooky and scary and gave that kind of spiritual element to this that wasn't just like the supernatural like turn the carousel around and like you turn into a baby but. Even so, there's more supernatural forces around it. This is such a good movie, um, just as movie sake. And like I said last week, I really want to read the book and the tale and get more into it. And I think I might even get more out of it. I think here, Chris, uh, because you got two carnival movies matched up against each other, they both take place in about the same time. It's the Harvest Festival-esque timeline uh and even mom's got a date maybe they mention halloween but i don't remember them explicitly saying it's coming up they were just going to a harvest festival where like the band was a reference to sleepy hollow right so um halloween vibes all around uh the best halloween vibe movie i think is something wicked this way comes i'm reversing my stance from last week and i'm going with the better movie this time uh, moving on here to the final. Kyle, I 100% agree. This is just a, a better movie, a better matchup in every single way for Something Wicked. I do want to mention just a couple other moments from Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. Please. You talked about the uh, bar, rockabilly bar scene. Uh, I actually really enjoyed that part. I thought it mm. gave the mom some depth as a character. And it set up her rejecting the vampire as like a romantic partner, which I, I really enjoyed. I was a little bit uncomfortable because I really liked the song. I was like, I was like, this is awkwardly the exact type of music that I listen to. This like kind of indie country sounding music. Uh, It didn't sound distinctly rockabilly, but I was like, I'm actually really into this. Also, uh, the bouncer after the kid says, go throw that guy out. The bouncer and a team of two other bouncers yes. absolutely destroy this dude into like, some bikes. They like, <laughs> like launch him into some, I don't know who the stunt actor is that performed that, but it truly looked like he got owned, like just destroyed. Love that part. Didn't know vampires can walk up walls. I guess it makes yeah. sense. Cause they can sleep on the ceiling, but um, the, the part I was most like, what's 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 happening now was when the littlest kid made it to main street and he immediately was like drunk he like right. rolled up on his bike and like his vision was blurry and he was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know what why that happened but i, I didn't even talk like, about it i meant to kid. talk about it oh yeah go but, ahead but the little kid witnessing the vampire turn into a bat and the like anamorphs transition that we had to watch this guy so like transition into this bat and then flutter away. I was just like, oh, so oh, we just got our special effects license. Here we go. Nice. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I mean, it's a fine movie, but Something Wicked, so good. Tess, any words on this matchup? Um, two things about Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. One, I totally ship um, Aunt Hilda from Sabrina and Lizzie McGuire's dad. Um, thought that was great. Oh my right. gosh. <laughs> That's right. And then um, we were talking about earlier in the last episode, you guys said that, you know, Scream Team did it first with the whole uh, Coco, like, sequence thing, did it before Coco. Um, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire had the whole true love within family um, wins in the end, and they did that before Frozen. So (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our last uh, Elite Eight matchup, which is number three, Nightmare Before Christmas versus number six, Frank and Weenie. It's the Battle of the Tim Burtons. And for me, it is no question Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, to me, Nightmare Before Christmas is kind of the odd one out on this bracket just because how good of a movie it is. So many of these Halloween movies are very quirky, very light, kind of bad, kind of good. Nightmare Before Christmas is just so powerful as a movie. We can start with the soundtrack. It's it, it stands with the best of the Disney soundtracks as a whole. A song after song, all so good. Um, whether it's the more fun, upbeat, poppy ones like What's This? Or even like the slower, more like operatic ones like um, when Jack's in the graveyard and he's singing, you know, since I am dead, I can take off my head. Like, it's just so good. I mean, it's got all of the the necessary Disney-type songs in there, the I Want songs, the, you know, Welcome to This Interesting World-type songs. Uh, it's got all of them. One thing that was really disappointing for me on the music front is the opening narration. And the soundtrack version has an opening narration by Sir Patrick Stewart that is absolutely flawless. Right. It is perfect. And unfortunately, that's not the version we get in the movie. But just going back and listening to the soundtrack version, it's it's great. Question for you guys. Which Nightmare Before Christmas character do you think is the scariest? Any the- like Anyone from Halloween Town. Yeah, the little kid that's on the chain or on the leash. Weirdly really scary, right? I'm not encountering him on the street. Keep him away from me. Mine is the little dummy that lives inside of the stand-up bass guitar. The one that's like, a one Uh, and a two (laughs) and a three. (laughs) I had like forgotten about that character. And then in watching this, I was like, I love this guy. This is my favorite. And that's the guy. thing that's so good about this movie is like each little member of Halloween Town has this distinct, very memorable personality. And they don't have a lot to say or do, but like each one sticks with you. Right. It's so, so, so good. Another one that I love, you kind of talked about it last week, the vampires. So funny. Mm-hmm. That like Halloween town meeting scene <laughs> where Jack's like explaining Christmas. Just great, like, world building. Just, oh, man. It's just such a great movie. The uh, the scientist guy really creeps me out. I, I, don't, I don't like him at all. But yeah. everyone else is pretty, pretty cutesy creepy, but he's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, Dr. Finkelstein is quite a lecher, to say yeah. the least. Don't like him. How do we feel about Oogie Boogie as a villain? 
He was on our best villains bracket, maybe? maybe. I think. It was such a long time ago, but I think he's solid. Yeah, I feel like he... The focus wasn't really on him, right? Like, the, the entire movie, you kind of hear whispers of Oogie, and it's not... He's not really a main driver of the plot at all. You kind of know that he's been, like, essentially, like, banished from Halloween Town, kept in this, like jail type thing has minions lock shock and barrel um and then you you don't really see him in action until his big musical number right um so he's kind of more of a i don't know he he was my he's my least favorite part of the movie to be honest i was gonna say that i um when i because I've watched the, or I've been on the holiday um, overlay, Haunted Mansion overlay a million times. And I was always surprised that the Oogie Boogie part was so small or so short until I watched the movie again and he's barely in it. So right. I uh, watched this with Julia in preparation for this bracket. And she had never seen Nightmare Before Christmas. And she was like, it, it was okay. It picked up a little at the end. And I was like, I feel like it's the opposite for me yeah. where it starts so strong and then kind of falls off when you start introducing the, the Oogie Boogie and kidnapping Sandy Claus and all that kind of stuff. We talked a little bit about Sally on last episode. Kyle, you said Sally being thrown in at the very end is it was kind of awkward. I disagree. I actually really like the way that Sally is handled as a character in this movie. So often your heroes get these love interests that are just kind of like thrown in as love interests. They only exist as the love interest. And you get so much time with Sally and you really get to see her plight, her struggles, her situation and the way that she's feeling. I think it does a really good job kind of developing both sides of the relationship. It does seem a little bit unnatural that they like magically like are like, an item in the end but uh yeah. i i i buy it i think there's a lot of like i i think there's a lot of merch in the parks like that consider them a couple when you know it is thrown in at the end i think that's the weird part is that they as a couple are so hyped when it's like the last 30 seconds of right i think that's my weirdest thing is that we see them most often in the world as a couple and think of them as such when that's not what happened until the very end. And even then it's like, maybe. yeah, I think they're definitely romanticized, but I think that's only because each of their personalities are so romantic to begin with. Like Jack is this like Renaissance man who is, is easily inspired. He's, he's a green. If you were to yeah. take the true colors test and he has all of these very artistic urges and Sally is kind of like a lonely girl who right. uh, is like desperate for love. And so together they just form this like unstoppable, like crazy emotional romance, which you don't ever get to see, but it, it makes sense to me why they appeal to kind of like the lost soul or the lonely soul type personalities who idolize them as a couple. The, animation style it's very primitive stop motion and i think that that works in the movie's favor because they have to be so intentional with every single decision that they make uh, every line every little character movement has to be in there for a reason because it takes so long to create so every single line in this movie is just like 
even the smallest ones are, are so memorable. Like when the fog rolls in and Jack's like, oh, I can't take off in this. And someone's like, it's as thick as, as, and someone's like, as jelly brains. <laughs> and the vampires are like, mm, thicker. <laughs> or like, uh, the mayor's like, only 365 days left till next Halloween. And the werewolf's like, mm, 364. <laughs> yeah. Just like these smallest lines, like just hit so, so hard. Every single one of them. I don't have anything bad to say about Frank and Weenie at all. Nightmare Before Christmas is just too much of a juggernaut. Yeah. As you were discussing your points with Nightmare, I was sitting here trying to decide who I was going to go with because it's tough. These are two very strong, I think, stories in general. Um, it comes it comes down to, for me, which is the one that, you know, I'm going to be least likely to, or what, what one has the parts in it that I'm like snoozing through, right? That I lose interest with or that I don't care too much about. And it's tough because there is a portion in Frank and Weenie during that whole, like the kids are catching on to what Victor's doing and we have to go like house by house to see them enact these experiments that sometimes like in the middle of that where after like the sea monkeys and when you get to uh, the turtle, it everything is, it just feels a little frantic um, and not as well done as the rest of the movie. Although I do like the ways in which these new mutant things come about and sea monkeys are like these menacing like or these uh, mischievous like gremlin types and the cat turns into a bat and all that stuff um or the rat turns into a rat bat and then in in nightmare before christmas like second half drags man uh, for me and it's both from like the song standpoint and just the story standpoint um you you enjoyed Jack's kind of graveyard scene after he's shot down uh, by, I guess, the military <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. for, like, stealing Christmas. Um, I I don't know. It, that song felt like a, you know, just a soliloquy of him just spewing things, which is what it was supposed to be. But to do it in song form just didn't necessarily land for me. And maybe I'm just not looking at it in the most artistic way. Uh, because Nightmare Before Christmas is such a cult pop sort of phenomenon that that song itself just didn't do it for me. And even like Oogie Boogie song is fun, but by the time we get to it, man, I'm already just like trying to not check out of this movie, unfortunately. Uh, they really spoiled us with that big opening number and then they had to live up to that mark. And it slowly felt like it was starting to decline for me. Um, I'm going to cause some chaos and pass on Frankenweenie here. I just Whoa, really love this wow. story. I just really love this story. And I really love the dog's character. I think, uh, yeah, we're going to have to like in, you know, three years run back the dog bracket and throw <laughs> Frankenweenie in there. Um, and whatever other dogs show up in the universe because that's a good dog right there. The characters in the way that like Edgar is Igor from 
Frankenstein's monster and you know the Frankensteins are the Frankenstein's victor is victor like it's an obvious just complete play and the way that he was able to build upon the short that he had already established um and and dive deeper um yeah I don't know man Frank and Weenie just has that special place in my heart that's taken over uh where Nightmare was so I'm passing Frank and Weenie on which means the hardest decision probably of this bracket uh the Tim Burton matchup goes on to Tess Oh, man. Yeah, Frankenweenie is definitely a good boy. Little, <laughs> little Sparky, he's a good boy. He would have been a great contender in the dog bracket. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the um, Frankenstein references because one of my favorite parts in the movie is when um, the, the dog next door no- sees that he's back from the dead and comes over and he shocks her and then he turns she yeah, turns into yeah, yeah, yeah. bride. Yeah. I thought that was so clever. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. It was so cute, so clever. Um the one thing about Frank and Weenie though is that it's so like Tim Burton, it's you know, any Tim Burton movie is gonna be creepy or dark or whatever, but try explaining this movie to somebody else and it just sounds really dark. Like I explained this movie to my coworker the other day. I said, oh, you know, it's, it's a play on Frankenstein and, you know, this kid's dog dies when he um, hits a home run and the, he's trying to be the Sparky's trying to be a good boy and he gets the, he gets the baseball back and then he gets run over by a car um, is really sad. And I think it's just hits home for me because I watched my dog get run over, my childhood dog get run over when I was filling out my fourth grade birthday party invitation. So that memory is forever tainted my oh, fourth no. grade birthday party. Oh, no. I my dog die. So I just, I felt that when I watched this in the movie, which obviously when you watch it for the first time, you know what's going to happen because he's not Franken Frankenweenie yet, but I don't know. It's, I think that if you get through that, the rest of the movie is really cute because you still get to see that good boy come back. Um, but I just think I have too much, I have a lot of bias um, towards Night Before Christmas. New bias, I did not enjoy that movie growing up, but because I enjoy it, seeing it so much in the parks during Christmas time and Halloween time, I have to move on Night Before Christmas. It's fair. Battle of the Burts right there. All right, we've reached our final four. We're going to start off with the number one Hocus Pocus versus number four Haunted Mansion. Uh, these are two movies with some plot issues for me both of them uh obviously we talked about haunted mansion and it's it's uh, relatability to the the parks uh ride and attraction and how we we have to just kind of discount that because that's not what this movie was trying to do this is a family movie really like eddie murphy in this you brought that up chris uh, i think this was the perfect role uh perfect casting for that role of this like overachieving family man uh, because he does that very well, and it's shown in other movies, specifically Daddy Daycare, right? Like, he's big Daddy Daycare vibes from him in this one. But also, like, he's so, like, good at being that, like, people pleaser person. Uh, and so when he's, like, selling the couple uh, the house in the tiki bar, and he's yes. just, like, and he's just, like, pitching uh, why they should sell. And that that couple was weird. And... Uh, just his ability to be this like salesman through and through and get the job done is like such a great Eddie Murphy role. So I really enjoyed him in it. I like we've said people really don't like this movie, but 
they don't like it because it's not the haunted mansion they wanted. But when you throw that out, like this is a fun family Halloween movie for sure. I, I think we've touched upon all of the kind of pot points that I wanted to. The seance room part, Madame Leota just bugs me. The The way they wrote that character, I don't like it. Um, she's She can be so much better. They really tried hard to, to CGI some instruments, and it didn't quite hold up as well as their, like, skeleton costume guys in the mausoleum. But what can you do? It's 2003. Across from it is obviously Hocus Pocus. Tons of continuity errors in this one. Bette Midler is like queen of Halloween when it comes to just the fall vibes, right? She's very good at playing this witch character. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is fantastic as this like ditzy, you know, boy crazy character. I really like her um, a lot in this and just how dedicated she is to that role of space cadet. She sells it, man. She sells it. She's very good at it. This this movie surprised me with just how adult a lot of the humor was going to get. It kind of shocks you that they'd make some of these jokes. So like when uh, Danny and Max show up to Allison's house for that party and Danny's like, uh, yeah, Max has talked about you. He really likes your, what do you call them? Yabos. <laughs> oh, God. Do, do, do they call them that? I don't know. Has anyone know. ever called them that? It's so funny though, because I was just like, oh, 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 where, what, what? Um, so that was super shocking, but also really funny, and also just like, you know, played up the instance in which this kid who is a virgin is going to light this candle, which is such an interesting pot point for Disney to like lean I, in on. I cannot like my jaw drop are they are they trying to shame shame teens into being i don't know it's so such a bizarre plot point that they just greenlit and we're like i guess like just run with it who cares how many parents had to explain virginity to their children for the first time because they watched hocus pocus right exactly fun fact about uh our boy billy butcherson the actor doug jones plays like freaking every monster ever that's just like his type and the most like famous one most recently probably is the the amphibian man in shape of water oh nice um he just plays a ton of monsters from pan's labyrinth to hellboy to all kinds of stuff he just he's he's that dude he loves dressing up uh i listened to the 25th anniversary was not too long ago a couple years ago and i listened to like an interview with this guy and he is so annoying. Like, you know how the C-3PO actor is like freaking annoying and very into himself? Yeah. Yeah. So is this Doug Jones guy, man. (laughs) I could not stand it. It's like, dude, you played a part that was like 15 minutes in this movie. Leave me alone. Yeah. I think this is another one for me that like towards the end, there's just so much chase happening. You know, we chased into the school and then we burn and then they're not actually dead. And so we chased to this graveyard, which chases to this other place, which like to this open field or whatever. There's just too much chase for me. And there's a lot of chase in Haunted Mansion, but this felt a lot of like chase for chase sake. Like there was no plan other than like the way to defeat the witches, everybody, is to wait until the sun comes up. So this was just a, this was a game of just waiting it out, and that's not as fun. 
you know like it it's it's fun and this is a very halloween movie but that plot is just so you know chase focused while like haunted mansions plot is yeah there's some sort of chase element in that we're trying to figure out where mom is and like what what the hell mom's up to while we're getting lost in this mansion and getting locked out of it and stuff but there's also objectives and like plot points that move everything along thackeray was supposed to be that and he was supposed to be kind of that like moral like you know i hear here's the answers to like what we're supposed to do next but there wasn't a ton of it yeah i don't know i hate to do it honestly but i'm gonna move haunted mansion on to the finals here and so i, I want to talk it. about and it's not even that i think that hocus pocus is like a solid like yeah. movie hocus pocus just embodies halloween but so Haunted Mansion also has those elements. It's, I don't know. It's tough. I've, I'm moving, yeah, Haunted Mansion's on. So I've said I don't like Hocus Pocus. I want to talk about some things I do like about it. I, I like the strong school elements present in Hocus Pocus because that's actually a really strong aspect of, of Halloween time in the fall is, is being in school. I mean, yeah. often Halloween day falls on a weekday, so you're at school during Halloween, so... I like the school element. The bullies. Can we talk about the dude with the long God. hair who's a bully? His face looks like a member of the Duck family. <laughs> dude, it's I actually. such a funny looking kid. God, I loved the bullies so much when they encountered Danny and Max at that house. And they're like making fun of like. They're like, who are you? And Danny's like, he's a little leaguer. And they like, <laughs> enact like a pitch and like, a, oh, ooh. <laughs> I love that kind of comedy so much. Oh, it's so funny. Speaking of that scene, the little sister is great. Fierce, I man. love, yeah, I love this character. I love this actress. The younger sister who has some attitude about her is just Always a great character. Always one that I enjoy. Arya Stark totally. is a great comparison. But I like that she's shown to have a little bit of uh, an emotional side too. Like M Max says something like, yeah, you're jamming me up. And then she starts crying because she just wants to, you know, she looks up to her big bro and she wants to, you know, have a relationship with him. And, and that's, you know, that's super realistic. You mentioned Bette Midler's performance, which is great. Want to talk about Sarah Jessica Parker a little bit? She plays this kind of like insane ditzy Sarah Sanderson. Mm -hmm. And I really disliked this character the first time I saw Hocus Pocus. Mm -hmm. But about two weeks later, I saw SJP on the subway in my car, sitting across <laughs> the aisle from me. Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick did not want to be recognized at all. <laughs> but I'm sitting there looking at them, and I'm like, oh, my God. Next stop, doors open, mariachi band enters <laughs> the train, which in New York City, that's an, a very normal occurrence. It, sure. It's just literally part of your day. Someone comes onto your subway train and either does an incredibly long story about why they need money or they perform something for you to try and get money and the mariachi band is probably one of my more favorite versions of, of showtime <laughs> so this was uh, after halloween approaching the holidays and they stated feliz navidad 
uh, mariachi style. And nice. Sarah Jessica Parker was loving it. <laughs> she was so into it. She was like laughing and clapping. And this woman who has lived in New York for probably 25 years. Yeah. It was like she had never was seen anything it like it before. Like it was so incredible. And like Matthew Broderick just like, please stop, <laughs> please stop. Which is what 95% of New Yorkers do when a mariachi band comes on the train. But sure. SJP was just like so into it. The mariachi band leaves. Then uh, a homeless man walks down the subway aisle asking for money. Sarah Jessica Parker can't get to her wallet fast enough. So he passes her and she chases him down the entire length of the subway to give him a dollar. What? And so I have an entirely new respect, new appreciation for SJP as a person, as an actress, particularly Sarah Sanderson as a character, because there is a lot of SJP as a human in Sarah Sanderson. (laughs) Love that. That's such a good story. That being said, oh, here we go. There's like a creepy element of that character where she's like getting trying to get little kids to play with her that doesn't sit (laughs) particularly well with me yeah but nonetheless great performance from her i think on the whole the main problem i have with hocus pocus is a thackeray binks my favorite part of the movie is when thackeray gets run over by the bus and the (laughs) bus driver goes oh speed bump (laughs) i die every time (laughs) then It's the Sanderson sisters being these like super kooky, over the top kind of boob characters where they're they're very incompetent at times. They're fish out of water, so they're very out of their element. They're not necessarily foreboding in any way. And when you're going up against Ramsley the butler and Mr. Dark, like legitimate movie villains, a good Halloween movie really needs those. And Hocus Pocus just doesn't have it. And for me, like, that's what puts it over the top. That's why I also am advancing Haunted Mansion. So, Tess, the number one seed Hocus Pocus goes down. What are your thoughts? Um, I I am very pleasantly surprised slash happy that you guys enjoy Haunted Mansion. So I'm not disappointed. But I think, again, there's going to be a lot of Hocus Pocus lovers who are going to be very mad um so i i look forward to hearing about that if you guys hear about that (laughs) (laughs) bring on the emails baby all right let's head over to our other final four matchup it's number 15 something wicked this way comes versus number three the nightmare before christmas now we talked about nightmare before christmas a lot last round i kind of said everything i need to say about it it's great something wicked something i think needs to be hammered a little bit harder when we talk about this movie is just how scary this movie is. Mm -hmm. This is a movie that was produced in the mid eighties, a live action from Disney. This was during a time when they were really trying to get away from the idea that Disney was producing animated kids films, right? They wanted to produce something that was a little bit edgier. So they went with this Ray Bradbury story and I mean, it shows that this is a story from a legitimate author. Mm-hmm. It's like a uh, very high quality narration, high quality dialogue, high quality structure story. We've talked about all that stuff. 
But just like the scary moments in this movie are scary. You talked yes. about the scene where Mr. Dark is ripping pages out of the book. You've also got when he's he's like gripping his fist so tight that blood is running between his fingers. Yeah. You've also got the spider scene with all of the tarantulas inside the room. And uh, I can't remember which of the boys like flips open his covers and there's just tarantulas everywhere. Well, yeah. So scary. And I think the scariest moment of all, when they're running away from the carousel and they see a severed head. It's like one of the boys' <laughs> head getting chopped off by a guillotine and just laying disembodied yeah. in a basket. Yeah. That... If I had seen this movie when I was like eight year old, forget about it. That movie yep. would have been turned off. <laughs> no more. And of course, you've got the climax scene when Mr. Dark is getting like electrocuted to death and he turns into this like skeleton zombie version. Uh, it's just very like twisted, very disturbing, a lot of these images. And in a lot of ways, it feels not very Disney, but when I'm looking for a Halloween movie, I traditionally don't go to these Disney type movies. I go to the Shining and Friday the 13th and like legitimate like non-Disney horror films and Something Wicked This Way comes definitely falls more on that side. Nightmare Before Christmas, very high quality movie. It has more of those Disney elements. It's really fun. It's a little scary with not being too scary. It's got music in it, which is kind of distinctively Disney. I think Something Wicked This Way comes better Halloween movie Nightmare Before Christmas, better Disney Halloween movie. That's why I'm advancing it to the finals. Yeah, it's same same exact argument. I think Something Wicked ran the course that it needed to in this bracket. We gave it the respect that it deserves. It's definitely a movie that I'm going to continue to watch, read the book, all that good stuff. But when we're talking about best Disney Halloween movie, uh, this is where it falls flat. It's it's definitely in the era, like you said, of Disney trying to be like, we also make adult movies. L watch out for this one called Splash. You're going to love it. <laughs> so, uh, so it makes sense. But I, I'm happy you got to the final four. Uh, it's definitely going to be a nightmare for me as well. Tess, any surprises for you with that pick? No, I'm glad that it's moving on. And I'm glad you guys brought up the the spider scene because although in um in the something wicked because although i don't suffer from arachnophobia i had a lot of close friends growing up that did and that was you know i i i could just imagine anyone that is afraid of spiders would hate that scene and uh that that movie is very frightening and but it's very good but yeah. um nightmare before christmas is a great choice to move on all right chris if you would look at this it is the number four haunted mansion versus the number three nightmare before Christmas. This is crazy. This is, I feel like where it should be. I don't think people would expect to not see Hocus Pocus in this finals here, but this is going to be a fun discussion. So, uh, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Why don't you go ahead? Great. Uh, two great spooky movies that also have the whimsy that also feel very Disney. One that has to do with the parks itself. Uh, one that has just kind of embedded itself into Disney lore. Uh, but And as well as 
you know, embedded itself into the parks ultimately. Um, both have essentially Disney scores, right? Big Disney is big on music. We, we kind of associate music with Disney, uh, when we talk about these kind of things. And so the score of the Haunted Mansion is based on the ride soundtrack and the songs in Nightmare for Christmas feel very Disney. They're these plot mover songs that help to develop character or set scenes, which is very Disney-like, right? So they both check the boxes there. It's really like, you know, when Nightmare Before Christmas came out, it wasn't super successful, right? And and it turned into kind of this cult thing that we now say like, ah, you haven't seen Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, when it came out, no, people hadn't <laughs> because people weren't super into it. It's kind of had a life of its own in the, the more recent years and especially in the 2000s when you had like this punk pop revival and we had a lot of bands wearing Jack Skellington stuff and, you know, that was kind of associated with not only Halloween but what it meant to be like punk and and against authority and you, you could buy it a Hot Topic now. Like it was a, it took on its own type of thing. Uh, I think I brought up kind of the, issues that Disney had with associating it with uh, associating themselves with this movie when we talked about attraction soundtracks and all of the issues that there were with like developing songs for it because Danny Elfman didn't want to release the songs for them to use. Uh, so it didn't really become like authentically Disney and Disney didn't really own it until much later after this movie was created, which is very interesting because now we kind of just associate Really, people associate animation with Disney anyways. They'll forever think that something's a Disney movie when it's not because of their stranglehold on it. But this is one that literally, like, Disney didn't want really anything to do with. And that now they're all about it. Like, put it in the mansion every year, um, which is also fun. We have the, the ride is literally embodied in this matchup here as well. Oh, man, oh, man. I mean, you could either go the quintessential route what was like nightmare before christmas is is the halloween juggernaut or you go with the one that like disney fans like disregard because it's not about the ride that the way they wanted it but it's also like a very good like family movie you know uh i think that when it comes down to like what criteria i'm really looking for i'm looking for that kind of family aspect i'm looking for fun silly clever i'm looking for the music I'm looking for lessons learned and both of them do that. But I think the one that does it the strongest here for me is the nightmare before Christmas. I'm crowning nightmare before Christmas Ooh. as Disney's best Halloween movie. I have a question for both of you. How do we feel about the like backstory slash lore that they created for the haunted mansion? The ride or this movie? This movie? This movie and how it like relates to the ride, I guess. It the movie took like a tamer route, right? Because like the ride is very much like this Black Widow esque story now, anyways, where like this bride has taken advantage of these guys and then killed them in different ways, and you see that in the attic of the ride. Um, but this one is more like it's Master Gracie was engaged to be married to a woman named Elizabeth, 
and Ramsley, the butler, poisoned her because Ramsley was afraid that Elizabeth would like force him to move away. I think that this was an interracial marriage in like the 1800s. Yeah. So I think that was in play too. They didn't really like explicitly say that, but I think it was. Uh, so, so this estate was in threat of being taken away, and so the butler killed her to, uh, you know, preserve the estate. Master Gracie killed himself out of grief, and then all of the spirits that resided at the mansion are, are like lost in limbo because they quote can't find the light, right. And that's why they're they're haunting the place. And the reason they can't find the light is because the truth is not known mm. about like how Elizabeth died. I don't really understand like how that works, but I don't know. It's it's magic, afterlife magic, I guess. Well, and it's kind of inverted from the ride because in the attraction, it's all about the bride like killing her husband. So it's it's a completely different take on the story. Yeah. You know. It does get a little bit close to it. I don't think it's like a deal breaker for me that it, it's like doesn't line up exactly with the ride. It's a little bit clunky. Like it's a little bit like, uh, okay. Yeah. But um it definitely like warms my heart a little bit when I see all the little souls go up into the <laughs> sky that created itself inside of the ballroom of the mansion. I, I love guess. seeing I love seeing how uncomfortable Eddie is seeing his wife kiss the guy. And he's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. And he's like, Don't it's worry, not really not your, your mom. mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's just it's just it's such a good movie. I mean, I think kind of what it comes down to two for me is just like which one's more Disney and I kind of hinted at it earlier where Nightmare Before Christmas is just in a league of its own and and when I'm thinking Disney Halloween movies they're a little bit imperfect they're a little bit goofy and like you said like Disney has this very awkward history with Nightmare Before Christmas and they have always really leaned into the Haunted Mansion and it's a movie they're always very proud of, no matter how people have, have felt <laughs> about it. Uh, they they still continue to stand by it, and there's still no legitimate efforts in place to to create a, a different version of the haunted mansion, which makes me think that I mean this is this is one they they plan to roll with. Sure. So for me, believe it or not, Eddie Murphy is crowned the winner here with his Haunted Mansion as the best Disney Halloween movie. Now, oh Tess, gosh. I know you didn't get to make a whole lot of tie breaks on this bracket, but you got the big honors here. So this tie break's going to you. Oh, no. Um, so the Haunted Mansion movie is one of the movies on this bracket that I actually watched when it came out. I have a distinct memory of watching it in the theater. Um, I have, I have always been one to scare easily, not just because I'm hard of hearing in one ear, but just any movie doesn't matter what it is, including Disney's Haunted Mansion. I jumped whenever <laughs> um, the came out. It was just, I, I popcorn was flying all over the place. Cause it was, it was spooky for me. And, fourth grade or whenever it was. Um, 
so I have, I mean, I, I had a good association with that movie. I didn't, um, I wasn't a park goer at the time. So those were kind of separate things. It wasn't until I went to Disneyland as an adult that I realized that it was an attraction and that it was, that's what the whole movie was about. Um, and I loved Eddie Murphy as a child. I loved Dr. Doolittle. Um, you know, I really enjoyed watching him in that movie. Nightmare Before Christmas, I did not enjoy watching as a kid. And that's been something I've grown into as an adult. When I think of what is, what is Halloween to me and what movie am I going to put on immediately when I think of Halloween? And every year when I decorate my house for Halloween and get into that spoopy spirit, which movie is coming on first? Is it Nightmare Before Christmas or is it Haunted Mansion? And it's, it's going to be Nightmare Before Christmas every time. Um, I know it's Christmas versus Halloween, but I just think there's so many good elements within it that make it both seasons of movies, um, especially, but especially Halloween because it has that classic Tim Burton feel. It's definitely my favorite Tim Burton film. Um, yeah, so I'm crowning Nightmare Before Christmas as the winner of this bracket. Wow. All right. Decision has been made. The best Disney Halloween movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. And as we always do at the end of a bracket, it is time to clap it out. I would just like it to be known that Haunted was the first Halloween movie that I watched this year. Wow. Just throwing that out there. Wow. I think Tower of Terror was mine actually. So. I mean, that's a great choice too. <laughs> oh man, Chris, even though it didn't quite turn out your way, I think that the way that this bracket broke down was really satisfying. And I think that we were able to bring out aspects of these movies that maybe people haven't thought about, or even movies that people haven't thought about. So, you know, I think that the journey was well spent. Yeah, I think we showed some love to some movies here that maybe normally don't get a whole lot of love. There's definitely some 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 new classics on here for me. So everybody, thank you so much for listening to this Halloween episode. We hope you have a very safe Halloween and you are ready for the many other holiday specials we are going to have at the rest of this 2020. Tess, thank you so much for coming on, being a guest host yet again. We love having you. We love hearing your perspective. Uh, even though we didn't have a ton of work for you, you had the most important job. Boogity, boogity, boo. <laughs> Stole Chris's outro. What is he going to do Dang now? It. <laughs> All right. Folks, you know how to get a hold of us. You've got something to say about this. You are a diehard Hocus Pocus fan, and you've got fighting words for us. Send us an email at mousemaddestpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can always reach out to us or play along on Twitter at mousemaddestpod. You can join our Facebook group or our Discord server, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. Until next time, till next bracket. <laughs> Dang it, Tessie stole it. <laughs>